Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Now, if we're in that little country church in Missouri, they keep having church. But we're going to do teaching now instead. Hey, the most important thing about me is that Jesus is mine and I am his. Can you witness to that? Can you agree with that? We had the, uh, the book of Matthew that we studied. And what comes next is the birth of the church, Christ's death and resurrection. And I just want to talk today about the fact that from the rise up of Easter to the speak up of Pentecost to the stand up in front of the Sanhedrin by the disciples in Acts chapter 4, there is a consistent practice that happens among the the early church. And I want to call it the huddle up. The huddle up. You see, if you look at each of those situations, on Easter, when Christ was resurrected from the dead, they found the disciples together to give them the good news. On Pentecost, they were all in one place. They were together in one place. When the Peter and John were on trial, while they were on trial, there was somewhere happening a Bible study and a prayer meeting. And they came back and reported to the people, and the people praised God for what had happened. You see, we love the forgiveness that Christ provided on the cross and the hope that the resurrection gives us, but it's not just about the forgiveness. It is also about the following, the following of Jesus. We didn't just get a fire escape ticket, one-time deal. It is about entering into a journey, entering into a relationship that we follow him and we follow him together. This huddle-up thing is one of the most important things in all of Scripture. I think one of the things that happens after the pandemic, so many people have holed up instead of huddled up. They're still in their living rooms, and if you're watching, I'm talking to you. Um, I'm not trying to shame you much. But if you've had your vaccinations and it is at all safe, you need to huddle up because you cannot be. It is an oxymoron to be a Lone Ranger Christian. That is not how we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus together because we need each other. We encourage each other. We grow each other. That's a part of what happened in the early church. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, we find this. By the way, I think the reason for the huddle up is so that we can, this is my last one, grow up. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This huddle up in order to grow up is not just something that happened in the early church. It is a consistent pattern in Scripture and among churches throughout history. And it is a, not just a responsibility. It is a privilege for all believers. So I, I just want to, I want to talk about this. People who want to grow up, uh, they, they're what we'll call them believers. And believers are about knowing and being known. To know and be known. It says they follow the, the apostles' teaching. They were centered around, in the early church, the life and the actions of Jesus in the context of, in Jerusalem specifically, in the context of Judaism, the Old Testament, the prophecies. We just came out of Matthew, talked about it. And they wanted to stay in the the orthodoxy, within the parameters of what Jesus taught and of what had been taught throughout the Old Testament. Now, 
true faith, and this is something we're finding more and more of in our in our current culture, is that is that people kind of make up their own, you know? Uh, so I wrote this little paragraph. True faith is not an amalgamation of your favorite podcast gurus and the best-selling pop psychologist's newest path, newest path to happiness and the newest self-promoting self-help seller of inferior ideas or even your long-held but rarely practiced often-touted family truisms. That's what... People's beliefs are made up of just the craziest things they're putting together. But let me say, but rather, it is a knowledge of and adherence to the actual, factual truth revealed in God's Word about God Himself, about Jesus, about creation, and about us. And one of the things that happens when you sign up for this Christianity thing, you allow Jesus to forgive you, He invites you to come and to follow and to learn to know God and to know what God is, is telling you about yourself, about the world you live in. Not only are we learning to know God, we're learning to understand what he would say to us. I had an interesting prayer time this morning. I was praying, and I had a book that I'd started as a devotional very recently, and, and I just had this, this thought, you should stop praying right now. I had just started, and read a few chapters in this devotional book. Okay? Sometimes I do that, sometimes I don't. I read it. And immediately, this author made three points that just spoke to exactly what I was getting ready to pray about, my own struggles of the day. Three, and there's no way it was coincidence. One, maybe. Two, maybe. Three, no. And by the way, it's really not a coincidence because the third one is this. Not every day is a three-cookie day. I'm going to let you figure it out. I will tell you later what the devotion was if you can't figure it out. The truth is that God wants to speak to you about himself and about yourself and about the world in which you live. We need to hear. Sometimes it's hard to hear what he has to say, but we need to do what the disciples continue to do, and that is to have a posture of learning, a learning posture. We hear people talking about sitting at Jesus' feet. All that is 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 a reference to the way students would learn from their rabbis back in the day, and it is a posture of learning. To try to be a Christian and not be a part of a, a, a faith family, a church family, is to not take a posture of learning. It is to take a posture of pride, saying that I know better and I can do it different than all the Christians in all of history. And so we learn in this section of Acts, too, that we need to be a part. Well, why? Because we need to know and be known. I use the word fellowship. Fellowship is not just folks hanging out, not even just folks hanging out eating pie. Uh, it, is, it is Jesus, folks, hanging out, sharing the traditions of what it means to live a Jesus life. Fellowship. It's not just having fun. It's not just hanging out. It is in the context of people who are going the same direction, following the same Lord and Savior, and learning from each other how to live that tradition. By the way, think about these people. They were, they were from a Jewish background. They were quite accustomed to doing this, to living in that kind of community, to moving forward, to traveling in that kind of, spiritually, that kind of community. The problem is that it takes time and access to live in fellowship. Um, it, gets, it takes time to know each other. It takes um, access. Some people want the benefits of a great faith, but they don't want to put any effort into growing into it. Have a great faith, it takes effort. To become a Christian doesn't take effort, you just accept a gift. But to become a good Christian, to become a true Christ follower, you got to work at it. You got to grow into this thing. It's like wanting a relationship with another person, but rejecting any possibility of vulnerability. It doesn't work. Some of you have tried it. It didn't work. And so, those, by the way, are called acquaintances, not friendships or loved ones. 
And so he calls us into this relational world, into this traveling with a group of other believers to open our arms, to allow others in, to not only to know them, but for them to know us. Um, I recently read that uh, there is a, uh, a, 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 con, a, a phrase, it says, to know a thing or to approve a thing or to understand a thing is not the same as to do a thing. A lot of Christians say, oh yeah, I believe in fellowship. But are you doing fellowship? Are there a group of people in your life that you are traveling with and have been traveling with who know you? Not the public you, not the put on my good outfit, my happy face you, the Facebook you, the real you. And he's calling people because that's where real growth and growing up happens. It requires us to not only accept input, but proactively seek people's objective input into our lives and our growth. Um, it doesn't mean picking up my ball and going home when the going gets tough or somebody tells me the truth about myself that I don't like. It doesn't mean hanging around for the glow of relationship and never putting anything in the fire, helping build a fire. It means caring, giving, and sharing, and opening myself to truly being known. I, I was evaluating over the years people that have, have um, fallen away from faith or have just self-destructed. And it looks so good up front. And I would, I, more often than not, I see people who came to receive forgiveness, but never chose to follow, never moved into relationship. That's why this, I, I, uh, I asked uh, Val, my assistant, to look up if I've done any sermons on this passage, or more than I could read, <laughs> because this is so essential to your Christian faith, not just to our church, but to your growth as a Christian, to your spiritual well-being. This passage, this short passage, is so important. The idea of fellowship on paper sounds good, in reality, it is messy, it is grimy, it is gritty, it is inconvenient, and it is uncomfortable. And yet, I want you to think about building a marriage, building a healthy family, raising good kids. Those are also really hard, really inconvenient, oftentimes uncomfortable and grimy and a little bit gritty because you don't build anything relationally without getting your hands dirty, without rolling up your sleeves and saying, okay, I'm in it. Whatever comes, I'm in this deal. We're going to do this together. Be like a young couple thinking to get married and because love is so great, they're just going to cruise and never have any challenges, not have to put any effort into it. How many know they're in for a really harsh awakening? A really rude awakening, right? As you come to Christ, you don't just come, uh, as, as a person, you come to be saved, but to become, to grow into it, you need other people. You need the body of Christ. And so real fellowship requires vulnerability. It also talks about breaking of bread together. I was thinking about breaking bread. Why is eating together so, such a big deal, especially in the New Testament and for me? Well, I know why it's a big deal for me. It's probably not a healthy reason. But for the New Testament, I want to suggest to you the breaking of bread is about the sacredness of those who are trying to follow Jesus, the association of those trying to follow Jesus together. What do you do, on, what do, you do when you eat? You eat regularly, you eat often, you eat consistently. What do we need to do uh, to grow spiritually? We need to meet regularly, often, consistently. If we were just meeting at every meal, we wouldn't have to put it on our schedule because I get hungry, we're going to meet. That's how it works, right? It is about the nourishment that comes from coming together with other people. The breaking of bread. It's a way to do fellowship regularly, intentionally, often. And then it talks about prayer. If you are in relationship with other people, you'll need prayer. Right? 
Prayer helps us know God better. It helps us, it helps us know us better. And it helps us deal with the rest of you. Never been married? Never had kids? Prayer. It's big. It's a big deal. And so he says, they had fellowship, they broke bread together, and they prayed. And I believe that his prayer could be Old Testament prayers, uh, set prayers, some were impromptu prayers, extemporaneous. There are all kinds of prayers, but you will get together with other people and you will pray. I, uh, I was at my mother-in-law's house um, uh, last week as one of the stops on a longer little journey there, and, and she had some friends over there about to have a, a time of Bible study and prayer together. And they asked before we were getting ready to leave for the airport, my, Connie and I, and they asked if um, they could pray for us. And I said, well, yeah, great. And so they prayed, and they got done. And then one of them looked at me and goes, you going to pray? Like, you know, it wasn't quite, it was like, do you want to pray? But what she was saying was, you going to pray or not? And I just, yeah, no, it's my privilege. I'd be happy to pray. And, and I prayed, and she felt better. So, um, but in her mind, there was no getting together and then leaving without prayer. Because that's a part of what we do together. So we pray, we encourage each other, we lift each other up, we talk to God on, be- on behalf of each other, not about each other. I know some of you pray that way, but on behalf of each other. And so prayer. And so this knowing others and, and being known by others, knowing God and being known by God is a, is a critical issue. But it means taking down some of, the, some of the armor that we've put on, some of the barriers to being known because we get hurt and we get beat up. Well, we'll talk about that more in a moment. In verse 33, it talks about signs and wondering, uh, wonder, signs and wonders, this lingering sense of awe among non-believers around us. I want to suggest to you that as we learn to live in relationship with each other, as hard as it can be, in honesty and authenticity, it is different. It is different than the rest of the world. People will take note. Um, and I happen to believe that the only way forward in this culture is if people outside of this place who are buying into some pretty false ideas about what life is about see us genuinely, authentically loving each other. I think that is an attractive thing. That's what they saw in the early church. In verses 44 and 45, it talks about believers being together and having everything in common. I call these belongers. If you're really belonging, if you're in a relationship, you are loving and and being loved. Um, And maybe we need this more today than ever as we live in a culture that is antithetical to what the Bible teaches, and even militaristically so on occasion, we may need each other more than ever in the sense that it is hard to stay the course, to believe what is true, when everybody, it seems, at times, is telling you something else, something opposite, something contrary to what you just read in Scripture. My question for us today is, do we have, do you have, more in common with your unbelieving friends or with your believing friends? It says they had all things in common. We all think about, well, that means the physical goods, they, they lived in a commune kind of setting. You're missing the point. It, it, today, if somebody's in physical need, we provide them food, we have a food pantry, we do all that kind of stuff. Hopefully their small group helps them. But the bigger question is, do you have more in common with the body of Christ or with those outside the body of Christ? Because if you're going to stay in the body of Christ, you're going to grow up, as the intention is for all of us, you're going to need other people who support you, not only in your beliefs, but in your values, your attempts, your values, and your attempts to be more like Jesus, in a sharing and affirming those values for not only yourself, but your families. If you're a Christian family, you don't bring your kids to Sunday school or to youth group. I'm confused. I'm confused. Do you not need help? Because I needed a lot of help raising my kids. 
My daughter has aunties all over this church and even all over the country who pray for her, who speak into her life. My son has guys my age who speak into his life. We need each other to help raise our families so they can know the joy of salvation. Growing up doesn't happen in the isolation of being a recluse where you're free to meditate and contemplate, but in the ever-demanding context of loving one another. That's why in the New Testament, more and more, it doesn't say, now go hide, now go, go. it says more often than just about anything else, one another, love one another, carry one another's burdens. It's not there as an idea, it is there as an essential part of our Christian faith. It is a part of what changed the world. Um, not only living in community, but caring and so they gave to anyone who had need. Here's something that I'm realizing. Every healthy, I, I've known this for a long time, but I'm realizing it in a new way. Every healthy community has a common cause. The cause of caring for each other, the cause of honoring Jesus, the cause, the cause of becoming more like Jesus, as opposed to a common target, a shared target. The more I read the internet, the more unhealthy I think our society is. You want to just, you want to just go online and just watch one person criticize somebody and just watch the feeding frenzy. Suddenly this little community, it, it kind of coalesces around this one person and now they've got a target. Go online and say you're going to clean up some part of the city. See how many people coalesce around that. Which one's healthier, I ask you. Which one has better outcomes, I ask you. The truth is that online we're more apt to characterize others like what's wrong with them, or to categorize them, the polarization we're experiencing, either, you're, either you agree with me or you're dead to me, or the cancelization, is that a word? Canceling that happens in our popular culture. Christ calls us to coalesce around a common cause, loving God and loving each other. That's what we're to be about. If you find yourself, your mood kind of being sour, you're kind of being spoiled in a given day, I just want you to look. Are you about a cause or a target? Because if you're about a target, you're going to get worse. If you're about a cause, a God-honoring cause, and you're with other people in that cause, that community of believers, you will get better. There will be hope. There will be progress. It's a part of what community is about and caring to give to one another who has need, anybody that has need. The best relationships are missional. And our mission is always to love God, love each other. And the more tangible the loving each other can be, the better it is, I think. I, I, we got a, I got a message from one of our serving elder families. And, and uh, one of them has cancer. They haven't been able to be here for a long time, many, many months, because of COVID, cancer, etc. And they said, you know what we miss most? And I thought, well, it's going to be the sermons, of course or at least half the sermons. <laughs> what they missed most was, you know what we miss most is serving as a family. That's what we miss most about coming, not coming to church, is serving as a family. Because we're supposed to be about a cause, the cause of Christ. To call ourselves a Christ follower, not be pa passionate, is, is an oxymoron. Uh, we can't just do the rituals of religion, going to church, even giving money, and not care. We have to care. Some of us have been out a long time. It's hard to kind of not give up after a while. We're not seeing the change in ourselves or in our society and our community that we'd hope for. And yet, to be a Christian is to care, to share, 
to give sacrificially. There was this group of Christians in, in the first few centuries of Christianity, and one observer uh, noticed them, and they were a group of people who had committed themselves to poverty because as the Son of God had no place to lay his head, they would choose not to own anything. And so these people, with a, it, initially it seemed to be a, a pure idea of, of living in poverty, and this is before the 5th century, um, would just go around and they would beg and they would ask of people whatever they needed. And then they would move to the next place because to stay too long would have a home and a place to lay your head and it wouldn't be like Jesus. This outside observer began to observe that they may not even be Christians anymore at all because they never ever joined a community. They never ever stuck around long enough to contribute to the community in any way. And they never stuck around long enough for the community to contribute to them or even hold them accountable for anything. And so he, as fifth century observer said, they became a pariah on the body of Christ. Modern translation of, of what he said is, they could shop for a church but never help build one. I believe that this, this condition where we don't want to get our hands dirty, we don't want to be a part of, uh, of growing ourselves and each other, is, it's been around a long time. It is the pandemic of the church, if you will. A lot of God talk, almost no action, but not a lot of God himself. And so if you want to be healthy in your faith, you need to step into community. You need to step into a group of believers that you can trust and who can contribute to your life and you can contribute to theirs. I call these becomers. They are becoming, becoming more like Jesus, becoming who God wants them to be. It said in the first section of this passage that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to this kind of lifestyle. And the devoted just simply means fully committed, single-mindedly committed to a certain course of action. What they were committed to is a life that honored God and cared about others above everything else. So sometimes in, 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 all, the, in all the years of ministry, I hear people say things and they have no idea what I'm hearing. Because what they think they're saying is, I'm very busy, I don't have time. What I hear is, whatever you're doing, you think is more important than God. And by the way, I hear it for myself sometimes too. Oh, I don't have time for that. What is the commitment here? The commitment is to knowing God and to loving God's people, to becoming like Jesus. And whatever is getting in the way of that needs to be dealt with. It says in verse 46, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. You don't think they had jobs? You don't think they had to earn a living? They did, just like us. And yet they understood what was most important. They had a practice of breaking bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. You want to maintain an attitude of gratitude? Get with some other people who are committed to the same thing. I'll guarantee you, seven out of your ten friends are not committed to that. It may be 11 out of ten friends are not committed to that. Because that's not the world we live in. Gratitude is not all that popular, frankly. Picking each other apart, finding the faults in the world, accusing people of stuff, blaming people for stuff... They were committed to being together and fostering each other's gratitude and authenticity. They talk about sincere hearts, no guile, no pretense. They were honest with God and themselves and with others. It is rare to find an individual who is honest with God and themselves and others. It is a dangerous, scary thing to do. And yet that is what authenticity looks like. That's what following Jesus looks like. And then praising God. It's all about you, Lord. Maybe we should sing a song like that. It's all about you, Lord. Is it? 
It needs to be. That's the way to grow up. That's the way to be who Christ called us to be. That's the way to live in response and gratitude to what he's done for us to make it all about him. What are the results of a life lived like this? The results are impact and increase. It says, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Become like Jesus. So we, we had a, a family experience on our, our little break, and, and uh, Cody talked about it a little bit last week. But it has kind of sent me on a quest to re-examine some things. How I live my life, what I really expect from my life, how I invest my time and my energies, what my expectations are, how I evaluate whether I'm successful or not. We as a staff, and, and the pastoral staff specifically, have a pretty strong sense that the days to come are not going to be easier for Christians or the church, especially in this location. Don't, don't, I'm, not, I'm not feeling sorry for anybody, including myself. I'm just looking ahead. And we've been talking about what it will take for the church to be the church. Not, not to just survive, but to thrive, where the very gates of hell cannot stand against it. To be those kinds of people and that kind of church. And no matter what craziness is happening in the culture around us, no matter how people's opinion of us might rise or fall or change, what kind of people do we need to be to withstand that, to be victorious in the, in the face of that, and to eat, even help others come to that kind of experience in life? We have come to believe that it's going to require Christians to reset their priorities, to dig in to know God better, to seek to know God better, to be willing to depend on and contribute to each other's lives in ways we never have before. We think there is a time coming when it's going to be us, and it better be us. And if we're not here as us, we might not be here at all. You say, well, that's, that's really heavy stuff. Have you watched the news? I haven't, but I've heard about it. We want to invite you into, over the next few months, through several different ways, a time of resetting your priorities in your life. A time of setting your life more around what God wants than what your job would indicate, what people who tell you what success looks like, what other people expect of you. But what does God expect of me? Have I sought God's will for this, 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 this part of my life? Am I living in accordance to what he wants for me? Or am I just taking this all for granted and living the American dream? Because the American dream isn't going to get you where you want to go. It's a nice one. It's better than most. But what you want is a relationship with God that guides you, empowers you, provides for you, convicts you, draws you forward every single day. So today, I just want to give you an opportunity to think about what, what is God saying to me? What would God say to me about my life? How do I need to change the habits? The early church met together every day. Do I need to find, find, do I need to find, so I know some businessmen, by the way, who call from whatever their city they're in, they call uh, the, the guys in their group and they pray together every morning so that they'll be ethical in business, they'll be ethical morally, that they will seek to, to honor Jesus with their day. Do you need to establish some, some routines like that? Some, some, some structures in your life? That's what it was for the early church. It was structure. It was helping them grow and become like Jesus. Do you need to do something? Do you need to go and confess to someone the truth about what's going on in your life? Maybe you're just incredibly bound up with fear. 
Maybe this last year has just left you weakened in your, in, in, in your intent to be like Jesus. Maybe you're struggling with something very specific. Do you need to go find somebody, admit it, and say, I need some help. I need some one another's in my life right now. Maybe there's somebody you know who's a Christian, but they're really struggling. And it's, the thought has popped up a couple of times that you should go talk to them. Mm, that sounds kind of New Testament to me. It sounds kind of early church to me. It sounds kind of world-changing to me. So my thought these days, and I'm just sharing with you what I've been thinking about, went through Matthew, and Jesus has done what he's done, continues to do what he does. Now, what am I going to do? And I guess my question today for you is, what are you going to do? Are you going to shine it on and do the minimum? Or are you going to lean into this thing and be everything God wants you to be? You can't do it alone. Let's pray. Lord God, I am so excited, (laughs) even though it is completely unknown what forms it might take, but I am excited about what you are calling us to as a church. Lord, I am fully aware of the, the world we live in, the culture, what it seems like is happening. And yet, that doesn't change who you are. You are the great I am, and you are writing a different story in our lives, and we are to live differently. And yet, Lord God, we can't do it alone. And so, Lord, I pray that as one of the tools you're going to use in our life, you will, you will call us into each other's lives. You will call us into church life, into community, in ways that we've never done before so that we can become who we've never been before and know you like we have never before. And so, Lord God, today, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful that you not only saved us and forgave us and called us to follow you, but you gave us each other so that we could follow you together. And Lord, yes, there are some today who don't want to be a part of the group. They don't want to make themselves vulnerable to another Christian or admit the truth about themselves. And I ask today you would call them to repentance. And Lord God, if there is any of that in me, that you would call me to repentance. And having done so, Lord God, that you would raise us up as individuals and as the body of Christ as a church, to live together, to grow together, to move forward together, and yes, to be a light in a world that desperately needs it. And so, Lord God, today, we just, in this moment right now, we just pause and we say, I'm yours, Lord. Because the song we used to sing to you, Lord, is, I'm yours. All that I am, all that I'll ever be, all that I want, I give it all to you. It's all yours. Now you, Lord God, you guide, you shape, you help me. Give me people who will enter into my life, Lord God. Do the work that's needed by the body of Christ in my life. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Let's stand together. I hope that this week you will connect with another believer or two and just talk. Just get honest about where you are. If you're doing great, tell them you're doing great. And just see what God might do. God bless you guys. See you next week. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time. 